Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Oh, wow, what a difference a moment makes. What a great day we've had together, and uh, so glad to be able to be together tonight as well. I loved this morning Andrea's message on forgiveness and, and bitterness in particular, and for me, in that message, uh, her point on um, pause the story, and if you don't feed the story, it starts to die, was really significant for me. Really good. So I'm grateful so much. And we've been looking in the evenings about counterintuitive, counter to that which is natural to us, which is the teachings of Jesus. He told us to love our enemies. That's counterintuitive in every possible way. He told us to judge not, which is counterintuitive. And then tonight we're going to look at unseen matters matter. It's counterintuitive to take care of things you cannot see. So when I got out of college and got a real job, my real job didn't include dental insurance. I wasn't a big fan of going to the dentist anyway, and since I wasn't going to have any money to really do that, I decided to not go to the dentist. I thought, why worry about somebody scraping your teeth every six months, because that's no fun, and I'll just brush my teeth and do that twice a day, and all will be fine. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Nothing against dentists themselves, it's just I don't like to be in the dental chair, and for some reason, 14 years later, my mouth began to hurt. Yes, 14 years later, my mouth began to hurt. Still no insurance, by the way, and finally went to the dentist, a dentist that was recommended to us by some friends, and found out that I needed a root canal and some other fillings. Um, and I needed to get it taken care of pretty quickly. Went in for the root canal and had never had a procedure like that before. And while I was flat on my back in a room with no windows and me, Mr. Claustrophobia, and stuff stuck in my mouth and a light right on my head and people on top of me, I literally had a panic attack and I bolted out of the dental chair and I left the building. And I walked around the parking lot for 20 minutes trying to get my guts up to come back in. I just can only imagine what they were talking about, about me inside of that place. And then when I finally came back in 20 minutes later, they introduced me to a thing called nitrous, <laughs> which is laughing gas. And, uh, and I kid you not, if you were here last night and you heard about my background, it was the first time I... I mean this seriously, it's the first time I actually understood why people would want to take drugs or drink alcohol because I just was so grateful that that fear went away. Two weeks later, I went back to uh, get the, the second checkup with that root canal, and while I'm sitting in the chair and the hygienist is working on me, two chairs down as a little boy, and he's screaming his head off screaming his head off. And she says to me, you know what we call him now? I said, no. She goes, we call him Little Mikey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why worry about your mouth as long as it's fine? Why, you know, why really scrub it really good? Why get all that stuff going on and everything should be fine, right? When I was 40 years old, I went in for a physical and they said my cholesterol level was way too high and I needed to 
either make some changes in my life and see if that would work. And if that didn't work, then they're going to put me on medication. But let's try the changes. Why don't you try your, change your diet some, exercise regimen, like exercise, that would be good. And, and so um, I began to change those things and went back three months later and my cholesterol was in half. It was half. And it was actually um, my fault for where the cholesterol level was. But it's like, why worry about your heart? Nobody can see it. It's not really a, a big deal, right? Hmm. Notice in none of these stories that I slump down, put my head back, and start to get dizzy and pass out. <laughs> but I got my own problems, my own issues, I'll tell you that. It's counterintuitive to take care of things you can't see. Why bother if you can't see it? But unseen matters matter, and they matter a lot. So take your Bibles, please, and turn them to the Gospel of Luke to chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, again, New Testament, third gospel in, Matthew, Mark, then Luke to chapter 6. Remember the context here. You have Jesus who has new disciples. He's training them. He's teaching them and how to now follow him and how to lead in a way that's totally different than how they had been taught by the religious leaders of the day, who Jesus also called hypocrites. He called them hypocrites because they looked good on the outside, all religious and pompous, and yet on the inside, things didn't match. There were unseen matters inside. Jesus teaches that the true person is found on what's on the inside and that eventually the outside will reflect what's on the inside. Let's look at verse 43 to kick us off here. Jesus says, for no good, good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You don't have to be a farmer to figure out what Jesus is saying. Thorn bushes don't produce good fruit. Good fruit comes from healthy fruit trees. Here's Jesus' comparison from fruit to people. It's good people with a good heart, equals good actions, and an evil person with an evil heart has evil actions. It's as simple as that. That's what he's saying. Or another way to say this is this. You can't hide what's inside. You can hide it for a while, but not long term. It'll eventually pop out. You can't hide what's inside. Out of one's being flows one's doing in what is done and in what is said. And so that's why Jesus says in verse 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. How many times have we heard in the last few years, either through social media or other ways that people have been recorded, if you will, of what they have said, that they've retracted their words and they've said this, my words don't reflect who I really am. You heard that? My words don't reflect who I really am. I'm really not that way. Now, it's possible every once in a while we say something that really doesn't reflect who we are, but for the most part, our words are a window of what's on the inside, a window 
of our heart. Because word problems reveal heart problems. They reveal heart problems. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus starts with that, and then he pivots and goes from talking about our words to the importance of his words. Look at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Let's not just glance over this. This is a very convicting question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? The word Lord means master. It means a supreme authority. If you add a second Lord, Lord, it is even a greater emphasis to that. Why, Jesus says, do you call me your master, the supreme authority in your life, if you don't do what I tell you to do? It's hard to convince me that I am your Lord. It's like an employee calling their superior boss, but never doing what they ask them to do. So let me ask you, if you call Jesus Lord, then why do you still do whatever you want to do with your money, your gifting, your time, your sexuality, your career, your marriage, your thought life, your future plans? Is he Lord or is he not Lord? Jesus makes a comparison between two people one who hears and does, and one who hears and doesn't do. One who hears and does, and one who hears and doesn't do. Both of these people hear Jesus' teachings. Both build a house. Both of them build a house. And the metaphor for a house here is the building of one's life, which fits really well with our morning skit, by the way. Jesus compares these two people. In these verses, the first person is the person who hears God's word and acts. Look at verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. This person did two actions that caused the house to be called well-built. The first action was he dug deep. He dug deep. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. Strangely enough, the two churches that I pastored, both of them we relocated to a completely different area, bought land, built from the ground up, both of them. The first was down in Southern California in Chino Hills, and when we were getting ready to build, we first had to get the land prepared, and then where the, where the big building was going to go, we were to, supposed to, you know, when I say we, the contractors, dig a big hole, and then they were to take the dirt from that hole and put it back into the hole and compact it really strongly so there was a firmness there so that if, you know, the rains came and things like that, the building would not tip and sag into the, the ground. So the big hole was 
dug, and then, strangely enough, in Southern California, it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. It's called El Nino, and it rained, and it rained. And we kept spending money to pump out the water, and then it would rain and rain and keep filling it up to partially. And, and finally, finally, the rains stopped, and we got all the water out, but still the building inspectors wouldn't let us do the compacting yet because it all had to dry out completely before you could put the dirt in, and then they had all these things you had to do to put the dirt and make it the foundation strong. Well, the dirt strong before you can even put the foundation on that area. Why? Because unseen matters matter. So in Colorado, the church that we were there, we also relocated four miles from our previous place, and that place, it had a different kind of soil, and so instead of doing it that way, the way that the buildings inspectors had us do it in Colorado was we had to put piers down, or pillars, if you would, down into the ground. They're all over the place underneath of that building. Some of them go 40 feet down. Expensive. Here's the deal. They spent so much time and money and work on that, and you can't even See them. What a waste, right? <laughs> you ever been to Colorado and been through the weather there? Why was that painstakingly done? Because, help me, unseen matters matter. Digging deep takes time. Digging deep is hard work. Digging deep takes determination and perseverance and costs. And this is why so few people dig deep. Because it takes time and hard work and determination and perseverance and cost. Why dig deep when you don't really have to? Who's ever going to know? If, if you would allow me just to go on a little rant here, is that all right? All right, you don't have a choice. So, but I have a, a concern for a shallow Christianity that we're seeing today. Churches who don't require pastors to go to seminary or be ordained, like those aren't necessary steps anymore. Preaching that is on the surface but doesn't really dig deep into into passages. I'm not talking about being boring, but I'm saying digging deep into what God's word has to say. I, I chose to, when I preached uh, as a pastor, to go verse by verse through books of the Bible most of the time. Sometimes it would take me literally like a year and a half to get through a gospel. And it would be other pastors, not the people who came to church, but other pastors from other churches who would say to me, don't your people get bored with that? And I would say, well, they're going to get bored with that when the preacher gets bored with that. Jane and I had a, a weekend off one time, and we went to a, another local church there in our town. And the pastor got up to preach, and he admitted that he was, uh, had a little bit less time than he had planned because some things went over in the service. And he had uh, a video that he showed, and he had some, some pictures that he showed as he was talking, and, and he had some quotes from books. And then 
up on the screen came the next slide, which he had already prepared in advance, and it was the scriptures, and out of his mouth came these words, oh, sorry, I don't have time for the scriptures this morning, and then kept going with the rest of his talk. And when we got in the car, my wife said to me, you need to calm down, because <laughs> I was hot. The Apostle Paul talks about his ministry to the church in Corinth, and his description, in his description, he says this. Get this. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. The New International Version says it this way, nor do we distort the word of God. The New American Standard says, or adulterating the word of God. The King James Version says, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. The Good News Bible says, nor do we falsify the word of God. And the message says, and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. We get into all sorts of messes when we tamper, distort, adulterate, falsify, twist, and handle God's word deceitfully. We get into messes when we choose to follow our own word over God's word. God's word followed protects us. God's word followed is the healthiest way for us. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 right out of the chute and kind of a, a summary statement of the whole book says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions. Foolish people say, I got it. I got it. I don't need help from someone else. Now, please listen carefully, please. Digging deep is far more than just knowledge. Because there's lots of people who have plenty of biblical knowledge who don't make Jesus their Lord. It's a combination of digging deep and knowledge and a trust in the Lord as the Lord, the one who directs our life, that his word is right and good for us. It's a trust and a relationship and that his word can be counted on and it's good and right for us. So most of us have a GPS on our phone or somewhere else, and I've grown to trust my GPS on my phone. I call her Pam, which is map backwards. And there are times when Pam says things, I'm thinking, that doesn't seem right. But Pam seems to have a greater perspective than I do. I can look ahead and knows other routes things that I can never see, and I've grown to trust Pam when I'm driving. Not as much as Jane, by the way, but I've grown to trust <laughs> Pam. <laughs> when or how did we ever get to the place where we came to the conclusion that our thoughts are better than God's thoughts? Oh, maybe in the Garden of Eden. Maybe that's where that started. So he dug deep, which is why he had a good house. And secondly, he laid the foundation on a rock. Verse 48, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Why did he do that? Because unseen matters, what? They matter. 
Jesus is the rock, by the way, and his word is the foundation. Jesus is the rock and his word is the foundation. Theology is not the rock. Art, acts of service is not the, the, the rock. Caring for the poor is not the rock. Apologetics is not the rock. Discipleship is not. Prayer is not. Jesus is the rock and his word is the foundation. So let me help us out with this. Uh, if you can't see this in the back, this is a rock. And sand, some dirt. This has not been rehearsed. Now, if your child care kids are wondering where the Duplos went this week, I took them, <laughs> and I made some houses. Let's plop that one right there on the sand, on the dirt, put it on there. All right. Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> I haven't built with these for a long time. One day grandkids will come and we'll be back to it. Now, from your perspective, they should look pretty much the same, although you can tell from your vantage point that it's dirt versus a rock. But if you look at some houses, you wouldn't really be able to tell that. But we know that this is on the sand, and this one is on the rock. Why is it important to even talk about this? Why does Jesus bring this up? Because of verse 48, when it says, ready? And when a flood comes. And when a flood comes. Not if a flood comes, but when a flood comes. There's rumors about this particular area of this country that building codes and regulations are beyond ridiculous. Just a rumor. It's hard to build things here. And we gripe about that the expense of it, the paperwork with it, the hassles with it. Right now, in the Bahamas, a level five hurricane is hitting it. When the level five hurricane hits your structure, at that moment, for the only time maybe ever, you're grateful for all of those permits and regulations and things that cost all the more money than you wanted to spend, when your house was stronger because it had to be put, if you will, on the rock. When the flood comes. 
And when a flood arose, it says the stream broke against that house. Now, a, a stream sounds kind of wimpy. Different translations use the word torrent and river. It's a life-altering experience that you don't want to face. I guess, my guess is that every single one of us in this room can talk about a few floods that we've had in our life, and some of you are in the middle of a flood right now. I know because we've had conversations. Here is what Jesus is teaching. The flood will come, will come, and how you build your house, how you build your life prior to the flood will make all the difference in the world in the result of the flood. How you build your life prior to the flood because it will come. Look at verse 48 again. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Jesus is the rock and his word is the foundation. A number of years ago, UPS went on a strike. It was national news. We had three men in our church that I was aware of that worked for UPS and back to back to back, I called them. I somewhat in my own heart predicted what the responses would be and I ended up being right. First guy I called, he was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what we're going to do. We're, you know, we're not going to have any money flowing in. We're, we're in big trouble. I, and he was just in, in dismay and, and very fearful. Called the second guy, and he was even more so that way. And his wife was in the background chiming in, and she was crying literally hysterically. What are we going to do? Or I can't believe this is happening to us. We have, we have no money. No, but on and on and on. Prayed with them. Both of those. Called the third guy. How you doing? Fine. Well, you know, I'm talking about the strike. I, I know, you know, we're doing fine. Like God has always taken care of us before. He's going to take care of us again. We, we're fine. Okay. Prayed for him. Maybe the guy who wasn't freaking out had actually read the word of God and had believed it when it said things like in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? He probably actually read that and Believed it. So this person hears God's word and acts upon it, and their house is secure. But then there's the second person, and that's the person who hears God's word and blows it off. Verse 49. But... But the one who hears, by the way, this is the end of his sermon, interesting timing, but the one who hears and does not do them 
It's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, and when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It was great. When are we going to fully trust in the word of God and in his instruction? I say this from a guy who struggles with anxiety. I know what the Bible teaches about trusting the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding that he'll be there for you and he'll give you peace. Yet I still struggle with anxiety. But could we actually read God's word and trust what it says because of who says it, because of the relationship that we have with him? Let's face it, building a house without digging deep and laying a foundation on a rock, it is faster, it is easier, it is cheaper, and it's plain stupid. It's plain stupid. Years ago when our kids were little, one day I said something and one of our little girls said at the time, she said, Daddy, Daddy, you said the P word. The P word? What's, what's the P word? She goes, you said stupid. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Who's the stupid one here? But, <laughs> but building a life without digging deep and laying a foundation is stupid. Because the flood will come. And when the flood comes, verse 49... And when the stream broke against the house, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. I'm going to trust in my bad skills of making this. Ah, I'm better than I thought. That's what happens. <laughs> I have a very, very deep conviction. That God's word, it works. It works. When in our marriage, when I actually do what Ephesians 5 tells me to do as a husband, when I love Jane unconditionally and sacrificially and give myself up for her, when I actually nourish and cherish her, guess what? We do good. And when I don't do that, not so good. When the book of Proverbs says, hey, if you actually don't talk so much and, and maybe actually sometimes are silent instead of saying foolish things that people, even if you're a fool, think you're wise because you are quiet and you don't say those things that maybe you think, should I say them, should I not? When I choose not to say those things, it actually goes better for me. When I deal with my money, what God tells me to do with my money, it's amazing that actually he seems to continue to provide all the more. When I'm kind to people, like he tells me to be kind to people, I find out that that really is, is something that ministers to people and it matters to them. And have you ever met a kind person that you didn't like? God's word, it works. It works. 
Now, before I close, there's something that's on my heart that I really want to share, and these comments will reflect my age and stage in life. I can promise you, 10 years ago, I would have never even thought of these things. And if you're wondering, what is my age and stage? Well, we're quasi-empty nested. I say that because of two college kids that come in and out. You know, they say the empty nest is like, is like those fake birthday candles. You blow them out, and they come right back. So we're quasi-empty nest, and I just turned 56 last month, so that's my age and stage. So I want to say that, and I really want to talk to those of you in this room who are middle-aged and older. Everybody, please listen, but I really want to focus on you who are middle-aged and older. And if you're like wondering, have I hit middle age yet? If you're even wondering that, welcome to the club, okay? (laughs) You're definitely in. I want to talk to middle-aged and older people who have um, been believers for a number of years, and your life has not gone off the rails. Um, you, you believe and trust in God's word, like we've talked about tonight. You have put your foundation on God's word, and uh, you have built your house well. You're maybe a church leader. Uh, You're maybe uh, serving God in some way. He's gifted you, and you're using that gifting for him. You're generous with your money toward the things of God. You have personal integrity. You you care about your your family. You're faithful to your spouse. You you come here on vacation, and you hear sermons. This is where you want to take your family and maybe grandkids. But, but. So the month before we moved here, which would have been April of 2015, I was down in our storage room and I was trying to clean up some things in preparation for our move. And I went to the tub that had my name on it. All of us had, have a tub with our name on it. And in the tub with our name on it are special things. So like if the fire hits, you want to grab the tub. And I grab the tub, and I'm looking through these, these things, and in there I see a stack of letters about this thick with a rubber band around them, and they were the letters that I sent to my mom and dad when I traveled uh, with uh, author and speaker Josh McDowell. Some of you maybe heard of him. I was an intern with, with him for a year. I took a, it was a year into seminary and then took a year off of seminary and traveled with Josh and went back to seminary. And during that year, uh, with traveling with Josh, Jane and I got engaged during, during that year. And the reason that I had the letters and not my mom and dad is they had moved into a uh, retirement center. They needed to downsize. And so they gave us kids some of the things we'd given to them that thought we'd want to keep. And so this stack of letters was there. And it was in chronological order. And I thought, you know, I'll just read the first one. It'd be kind of interesting to read the, the first one. And I read the first one. And then I read the second one. And then the third one. And then the fourth one. And an hour and a half later, there in the basement, on the couch, I read the last one. I read through one year of my life and relived it. And what I found in those letters was a 23-year-old young man, hungry to know God deeply. Desperately wanting to learn and to grow. Wanting badly to become a a pastor and make an impact for the Lord. 
I saw a, a young man in those letters who was deeply in love with this girl named Jane and couldn't wait to get married to her. And I sat there and I asked myself the question, am I still that guy? And I knew the answer. And the answer was not the same. Kind of kind of figured out. I've learned the buttons to push and the levers to pull and the keys to turn. I've got experience, had some success along the, the way. I'm the one now mentoring people. I now have interns that come to me. And I thought, I've got to become that guy again because I really liked the guy in those letters. So a year ago when I turned 55, which I'm going to admit bugged me because it was getting closer to 56 and 57 and 58 and you know. When I turned 55, I wrote this on my phone, a note to myself, how to live these next 25 years to stay vibrant and have influence. I picked 80, not that I would die at 80, I don't know when I'll die, of course, but I just picked that as, you know, to be strong and viable and vibrant and have influence, and here's what I wrote down. Keep Jesus first and be thirsty to know him deeper. Date Jane and find new ways to nourish and cherish. Cherish her. Regular exercise. Try new things. Get some hobbies. My hobby was our kids. Take restful vacations. Keep working even after retirement. Pour myself into our adult kids and eventual grandkids. Keep preaching. Increase my sense of adventure. Be grateful. Laugh a lot. Travel. Dream big dreams. Mentor younger leaders. I want to be that guy again. And it's so easy, even after following this, to get to a stage in your life and say, let the younger people do it now. I don't want to get in the mix anymore. I'm tired of taking on these things. I'm tired of having to be courageous. I'm tired of having to deal with the problems. I'm tired of moving things ahead. But you've built your life on the foundation of God's word. Don't get complacent. We need you to speak up. We need you to model. We need you to lead. We need you to love. We need you to come alongside the younger. They need our help. They want our help. If you've built your house on the rock, don't settle in. Keep it going strong. Don't cruise. Be passionate. 
still be willing to risk all the way to the end. That's what's on my heart to share. Let's pray. Lord, we have trusted in our own selves, our own thoughts, what our friends think, far more than your word, way too often. Because your word is counterintuitive. So it's not natural for us to go in that direction. We're thinking, that's not going to work. Lord, we need to trust you, to go deep with you relationally, to trust that your word is right for us because your word works, Lord. It works. And as the older we get, may we not pack it in, may we do the opposite. May we climb the hills and we be the Caleb's of this era. Because my servant, Caleb, he has a different spirit because he follows me with all of his heart. Oh, Lord, do a work in us that only you can do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.